0: Welcome to The Seventh Art, a cinema podcast. My name is Christopher Hearn. I'm the host of The Seventh Art, which is also a video magazine that you can watch at www.theseventhart.org. I'm joined here today with one of the producers of The Seventh Art, Pavan Mundi. Hi, Chris. We're gathered together to discuss Barbara Hammer, uh, avant-garde filmmaker, that we had the great pleasure of interviewing a few months ago when she was in town in Toronto for a retrospective that TIFF was throwing along with the Canadian Filmmakers Distribution Center and Images Festival. It was part of the free screen so they were showing a um, hearty slate of Hammer films for free uh, over the course of a weekend Um, and it began with uh, her doing a live performance of a piece for the Images Festival. I mean this was a really great opportunity for myself. I'm a big fan of her work. I had read her Her book, Hammer, seen as much of her stuff as possible, returned to a lot of stuff. It's an autobiography, but it also includes articles she wrote, ephemera from her life, photos from her past. It's a mixed media for a filmmaker that um, had to fight for her place. Like we look at her now in the canon, but for a long time, uh, the fact that she was a woman, the fact that she's a lesbian filmmaker were obstacles for a uh, heteronormative canon and she wasn't really getting programmed the way you need to as an avant-garde filmmaker and that's kind of what we talk about in this interview but this what I was saying with this uh, having read the book having put a lot of time into this was really looking forward to sitting down with Barbara for about an hour or so to really go in depth on her career and um, the location that we picked to shoot it at we arrived there in advance uh, like an hour like we usually do to set up and uh, the uh, bartender that agreed the night before i believe for the third time to grant us the space did not show up and, right, messaged- and this is uh, we've had a, this happen a few times where we think that they're not going to show up and we're we show up at the location early or first and we're freaking out but then they always show up sometimes a little bit late but they always show up and when you consider how many interviews we've done at this point it really is remarkable that this is the first time that this has ever happened to us considering we almost exclusively shoot in bars but it did happen, and we, um, uh, TIFF were great about accommodating us last minute, and that's where we shot the interview. But it results in a, a kind of shorter interview uh, than I was looking to do. So it went from being maybe more specific about her films to being more of a general conversation about some of the things that she had been saying in the Q&As that I was attending. I had a lot of fun doing it. So without further ado, here's our interview with the uh, avant-garde legend, Barbara Hammer.
1: And your whole purpose is to have a um, video blog of filmmakers? Yeah, that's
0: part of it. We wanted them to be longer form and and less uh, accessible, but more in-depth. That's the the goal. Mm -hmm. I thought a good point to start would be the fact that you said in one of your Q&As that you've uh, had uh, four retrospectives in the last two years. So I'm really <laughs> curious like what that experience is like because you watch them. You've been watching each of the, the films, the films yeah.
1: but I haven't seen some of them. And I haven't seen like I have several prints of different ones. So like I'm making notes of which prints were dirty. Oh, eh. yeah. Like last night, Nitrate Kisses. I'd love you to see that pristine shape, but it was it needs to be replaced. And um, Sappho that I haven't seen that film in 20 years. So every curator programs differently. And I really like it that Chris programmed other filmmakers along mm. with my work. And that happened with Stuart Comer at the Tate Modern. In fact, I think he set the the standard for that. And I mentioned it to Chris and I think he picked up on it. And that makes for a livelier discussion when two people are on the stage that are both makers or like last night, um, bloggers mm. about sexuality. That was really intense. Were you there last night? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So
0: has anyone, like, uh, in this program there hasn't been a lot of kind of criticism, but you've mentioned in a few of the Q&As that you'd like there to be like a kind of open forum where if anyone, you know, didn't like something they could mention. Have you noticed that in past Q&As or is that something you're always striving for?
1: It's, people are shy to do that and they don't want to rain on your parade and, you know, I've kind of like worked really hard to get where I am. So they don't wanna probably um, critique it. Mm. But in particular, I've been asking people that I know that work on Israeli apartheid to critique the performance because Mm. it is a work in progress. That was just the second time I've done it. And I didn't have time to really develop it anywhere from the first time I did it when it was scheduled into a 30 minute slot. So all we did was show the Pasolini location hunting in Palestina and then the piece that I had done mm. previously. But people didn't know I was through. You know, I think it needs more development. And so I'm getting feedback there because I'm asking for it. Mm. And then wondering why people I know, my friends haven't said anything. You know, that's a clear sign that they have some problems. Yes. yes. And so that's what I'm asking for because I think it's really important for us to be transparent in our criticism. And like an email reached me that was negative about the performance, just one word. And then the guy wrote to me and said, oh, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean that to go to you. And I said, this is what we need. You know, my God, I'm a grown woman. (laughs) I can take it, you know. It's not like I'm a fledgling filmmaker, and we should be able to critique each other's work. And I know I've critiqued his when he sent it to me. I haven't been at all praise, mm. all praises. So yeah, that's a concern of mine that, and in academia too, people play games about power positions, competition. I won't critique this because she's my boss. You know, all kinds yeah. of rules about positioning yourself in the world. I this world isn't going to get any better without our dialogue. Mm. You know, how can we expect, um, you know, the leader of, of Israel and Palestine to talk to each other if we can't?
0: Now, Do you think that this is also part of the, the fact that you're being kind of historicized while still working? Like
1: That's a problem, yeah.
0: Because you know, in, in, the, in the early days, you've had difficulty finding screenings and, and funding, like in the festival circuits or anything like that mm-hmm. then there's a kind of acceptance that happens mm-hmm. and then a kind of ossification and canonization and then yeah. but you're still creating things so oh, yeah. do you think that maybe people are they don't want to they don't want to say something about uh, established kind of filmmaker when
1: that could be you know I'm so recently established <laughs> that um, I'm not sure I mean I really think the Tate Modern did it, although mm. people before that told me I was an icon.
0: What year was that? Oh,
1: it was uh, two years ago. Okay. So, 20. let's see, MoMA was 2010, mm. Museum of Modern Art. Tate was 2011, um, or 2012, 2012. And Jeau de Paume in Paris was also 2012. That was in June, and Tate was in February, and now Toronto and I have some friends that are critics that are hoping to get one in San Francisco. Mm. But, you know, I'm getting a little tired of them as well and wanting to return just to work um, and make new work. But being historicized, I think, could be an issue. It could be an issue if people aren't talking to me about what they really feel. Mm. Um, A friend, well, I don't know if she's a friend, a new acquaintance who's a young queer filmmaker told me that um, she first identified that I was historicized and that that was a difficult position to be in and that I needed to take risks to fail. Mm. And she just graduated from the Chicago Art Institute maybe a year ago, and that had been the bell ringing in her ears and I guess maybe the way they've trained the students, mm. fail, 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 you know, and, and go for it and i'm trying to really swallow that and and not do repetitive work that i know will do fine it could go to all the festivals it could go to berlin that's not what i want to do i've already been there i want to take that risk again
0: now when you look at like say your 70s material um, now Mm -hmm. when you're retrospective like this Mm -hmm. it seems like you are the most critical of it (laughs) <laughs> and it seems like uh, yeah, the right. audience members—it's maybe the the flip side of of uh, when something gets historicized, but it, it's seen as more as a document, and less as an experimental film or a piece of art. Yeah. And how 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 is the reception now to those '70s films versus kind of the more hostile ones at the time, where there was the essentialist arguments, the Big time. the people who just weren't familiar with avant-garde material. So censorship. it
1: is. A, so it is avant-garde. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, because first you're saying it's documentary. No, I think
0: that that's like how oh. maybe people that don't know how to deal with it now may think like, oh, it's just a document of a time, oh, right? I see. Like, uh-huh. you know, like not necessarily a documentary, but they'll mm-hmm. like make excuses for things that they don't like by saying it's a document and then just focus on maybe the formal aspects of the things they do like.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's
0: a curious thing for me, mm-hmm. especially placed against how it was received at the time.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm so lucky that Judith Butler has written (laughs) (laughs) the book she's written while I'm alive and that I've seen young critics take up the idea of performativity Mm. because you know when you make work you don't always, I don't work out of an academic tradition so I'm not thinking when I'm doing Super Dyke this is a performance Mm, film or a film called X that I just put in Canadian Filmmakers Distribution Center 1973 nine minutes, 16 millimeter, rarely seen, but discovered recently by my gallerist in Berlin and then sold to a Polish museum. There's a piece there that's really strong that took somebody else Mm. to see. Um, So where was I going with that? (laughs) Um, I'm lucky that I'm alive, that, that performative critique has come out to embrace the work Mm. and that there's hunger for celebration there is hunger in the queer community for finding a joyous time the paradise of the past when we thought we could change the world Mm. and we were all coming out at the same time because now the struggle has been defined as difficult long-lasting and I think going back to That period of optimism and desire being satisfied right away, which I think is in my films of the 70s, is um, nurturing Mm, to the folks that are looking at it, the younger folks that are looking at it. The old ones are getting nostalgic, you know, and you know, so there's a critique of nostalgia, but I don't know, it's not not all bad, right? If it's memory and you know, remembering a good time.
0: Well, I'm glad that you brought up performativity because there's the butler sense of of the word that that you're talking about, but you also are a director that is getting performances, and that's something that comes up a lot, that you reiterate that, you know, even in the lovemaking scenes, that these are directions, and it's not like there is a... There are strings being pulled it's not just a realistic no, it's not portrayal. a document
1: it's not a documentary yeah,
0: and you're, yeah. you perform in your works as well, like you were there as a performer within them, and I'm, I'm right. wondering what that that, side, that interpretation of the word has has meant to your work because it seems like it's a a, sta- a consistent element
1: right it's consistent because I felt like I couldn't ask somebody else to get nude and make love mm-hmm. if I wouldn't do yeah, it yeah. So there was always that, and the same with didactics. tactics. If you have 20 women in the cult in the country, you know I'm there too. Mm. You know, and if there's some production shots where I'm topless and sound woman is nude, whatever. I mean, we were part. The crew was part of what was going mm. on, um, and and not a separation. Plus, there was that feeling that, you know, if I am the only one, as I felt like the only one in my film production class, as I mentioned, you know, no lesbian history that I could find behind me in terms of moving images, then I only had my own life that I could really represent um, in, and as it turned out, luckily, the community. So that's another reason why I was putting myself in the films Mm. over and over, and then when I got cancer, Nobody has, which you haven't seen that program yet, because it's today. No,
0: I saw, I I saw, um, I saw Horses Not Metaphor. You did?
1: Yeah. I appreciate your study, I really do. So then, you know, nobody had seen (laughs) what it was like to go through chemotherapy.
0: And you, and my favorite moment in that film is when you say, let me know when you're going to insert. Was it a needle? Because you don't want to yeah. see, but yeah. Flora, your partner, is, is filming? Uh, yeah. So yeah. the camera sees it. You will yeah. see it, you know, if <laughs> you're not seeing it <laughs> That's in great. that moment.
1: That's great. So I can get sick every time I see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, was curious,
0: like, when you're editing it, like, I mean, the shot's there, like, but you can choose whether or not to put it in or not. Mm-hmm. What was the...
1: I put it in because there was so much affect in my face with the, mm-hmm. you know, don't let me see it. Um, I just used to faint. Yeah. Uh, with needle shots and you know so I still even if I was in for some normal tetanus shot or something I would li- ask to lie back in the chair mm. because uh, I used to be afraid of needles I guess that's the reason.
0: Now this period like you, you've periodized your work in your, your book it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's there are firm lines and, and people writing about you tend to do that as well what is mm-hmm. what would you call this current period with Generations and Horses on Metaphor and Maya Dare and Sink
1: yeah, um, it's a. I think it's an architectural, landscape, geopolitical period because you can look, put in Palestine there too. Mm, and yeah. my trip there, which was life changing, and even horses, not a metaphor, with the confines of the hospital room mm-hmm. and the requirements to stay in the home because you're not well enough to finally riding on the plains of Colorado, you know, and Wyoming. Um, the way with my sink, the way architecture shapes the visual artist, the way we're here today. Mm-hmm. Maybe in a better—I don't know what setting you'd planned for me—but <laughs> probably what happens here is different. I feel very relaxed. I've been in this room before. Mm. Um, it's spacious, so my thoughts feel—you s- know—that I can be broad. Um, I think that those of us who work independently are both confined and and stimulated by our surroundings. And so my work is continuing in that direction to look at querying a city, querying a home, but not always querying. What about a woman who was in the closet and how did she relate to her home and to details? Um, But it is more focus on other people even though there's some desire to show my aging body Mm -hmm. and the way that John Copeland showed his, do you know his photography? Like I feel that hasn't been done, so I'm always aware what hasn't been shown, and what I have to show, which mm. is similar. Um, but you know, maybe I would work that way given a private studio space, mm. a residency. You know, so part of it depends on my space. Yeah, yeah. And what I would do.
0: It seems like it's kind of a a synthesis of the 80s, the kind of perceptual landscape of your 80s work and mm-hmm. some of the more um, documentary components of your 90s and, and early 2000s The work? essay documentary, yeah. yeah. Yep. How did you come to both of those periods? Because I, I know that in the 80s you wanted to remove the body to try to like get back at the people that were using that as a almost a straw, m- straw man to, to critique the 70s films. And it seems like the features maybe were better for funding or, or getting play in festivals?
1: Well, the um, the work in the 80s was I really wanted to present myself as a visual artist because mm-hmm. I was known as a lesbian artist. But so the artistic part of me really, people focused on my sexual preference. Mm-hmm. So they didn't see me. So here I made all this work and felt unrecognized mm-hmm. for who I am, yeah. which was I think maybe why artists make work. Mm-hmm um so there was also the critique of representation in how could I put a body on the screen that wasn't going to be representative of lesbian quote essentialist lesbian yeah. so that became the issue on how to frame a lesbian or would I always be framed by what I did and framed in the sense of go to jail um, that use of the word, and that's in No No Nookie TV, yeah. where I take the body out and just use the computer drawn body and the computer language in probably my most successful direct attempt. Mm. Um, meanwhile, the landscape work was an opportunity to show my appreciation of adventure, trying to get to Um, understand the first calendar ever made in North America and my walk across the United States in bent time, high energy locations. I was extremely motivated in that film. The pond and waterfall, just motivated by the desire to see and beauty of underwater growth Mm. in the spring when colors are reds and yellows and oranges. And not many people really skin-dive in a pond, (laughs) so it's to show them and then to follow the cycle of water down over the waterfall in the ocean and then rain again. The clear water cycle. So there's like an ecological story in the back of my mind, even though it's silent film, um and then the really the motivating there was two motivators for doing the long form films. One was I was tired of going on the road and showing six short films because everyone was different I had to talk about so many different subjects and I wanted to just develop one subject. So the second thing was Independent Television Service was born in the United States from Congress, and that was something that I had been behind the scenes, not a significant worker, but i have been participating and knew about it for the 10 years while movie ma- image makers were getting together to tell broadcast television, we need to have a space to show work that's not usually shown on television mm-hmm. and of underrepresented peoples. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, they finally went through, there's a lot of money there, and I could make a feature now because surely they'll give me one for my proposal to look at lost histories of gays and lesbians and maybe undercurrents of why that happened. But I didn't get the grant. But I went ahead because once I get started with an idea or a project, I don't want to let it go. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's not about making money. In the end, even though I use that as a guide, sometimes maybe I won't make something if I don't, like that feature that was mentioned, nothing could be worse than two dykes and menopause. Yeah, Yeah. so um, I applied for some funding for that and I didn't get it. So I left it at the 17 minute shoot that I had done over a weekend and edited down to 17 minutes for a proposal. And there's enough of what the film would have been and is within that 17 minutes. So those were the two factors. And then when I went to edit this wide variety of material, which I purposely chose to be black and white, because I knew if I was editing a long film in color, there'd be so many other restrictions on color placement, but black and white's going to go together no matter what you do, and especially with archival footage and all kinds of shape that it was in. So that was a really fine decision, and then how to structure it became the question. So I've been doing research, of course, on what is history, who makes history, who's left out, so the Foucault Statement, the Pat Califia, who's now Patrick Califia, were all um, photographed right at the beginning on 16 millimeter because I knew if I'd put the, as if I would use the material if I'd put the energy into making that text as image. Otherwise, and I left it as a note in my notebook, I would probably just go for visuals and leave that out. So, just knowing myself after all these years has helped. So really what happens is the text becomes the link hmm. between the different stories. And so y- you can see th- or even break it into four short films. Oh,
0: see, yeah, yeah. if you
1: look at it, there's segments. Hmm. You know, there's the old lady section, there's the black and white male section. There's the young tattooed women section. There's the SM section. And then there's the little coda mm. with Joan Nessel talking about the importance of saving everything for lesbian history. And you could say queer history today. So um, maybe I still don't know how to make a long film, <laughs> no, but Resisting Paradise, yeah. that one that one developed in a through line, even though it circles back on itself, you know? They all did do. You, yeah, did you, yeah, yeah they, they, they all do? do? Like I, I, I yeah. feel
0: like there's a r- really intense feeling that the past and the present are constantly fluctuating in, in an almost stream-of-consciousness way. Like, it kind of replicates the mind and how the mind functions. Oh, good. I was thinking of, like, oh, just, like, good. Virginia Woolf or, like, Mrs. Oh. Dalloway. Like.
1: Oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to have you talk to me and mention the those two ideas, that person and that idea of thinking, film as thinking, mm-hmm. make me very happy.
0: Yeah, it's got that modernism. It's kind of what you see with the, um, the the archival footage, the lost footage, um, mm-hmm. is that there's that kind of modernism, turn of the century film as like able to replicate these these aspects of the mind and how we're influenced by things around us. Um, the graphic matches you do between them, uh, yeah. different moments. Um, uh, even the uh, in, in, in Resisting Paradise, how the, even the, the element of criticism and theory, that's been ramped up a bit and you don't know who who you're in agreement with, who you're not. No, uh, That's you don't. What I found a really
1: that interesting embittle.
0: component, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Maybe I can do that in my new film. You know, not be ideologically yeah. fixed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and leave the viewer active then in not, like, maybe the work could be broken into the 70s being active physical work Mm. for the audience, Mm -hmm. and the work from Nitrate Kisses being more intellectually active. Mm.
0: I'm I'm interested how these things relate to to being a lesbian filmmaker, because in the book you mentioned this process of constantly being born. Like, I think I have the quote down here. and how history is fluid in this sense, and and how much of that is being influenced uh, in these films, or are you trying to articulate a kind of experience through the form?
1: Definitely. Well, you know, I guess constantly being born in the sense that there isn't a pattern. Mm, And if there are a pattern, then I would want to think that lesbian aesthetic was to break it Mm -hmm. and find something new because it was the thrill of coming out of a heterosexual marriage of nine years and a construction of being a heterosexual female until I was 30. And the thrill and excitement of finding something new. Um, It happened to be lesbian sexuality, but it could be anything for other people. Could be a lot of different possibilities. Um, And that opening so many doors of adventure Mm. in the mind and possibilities that I guess if anything, I'd like that to happen now for old people Mm -hmm. because there's um, a resource and um, an image bank that are both Underused mm. or invisible. Um, how does the age mind think? You know, what are what are the values, and how have they changed? And what can that do then for queer culture? Mm. So I just signed up for a class in um, at Clags City University in New York. And last night, some of us were at dinner, and this young dyke next to me, "You're going to school. You're going to take a class." <laughs> And you know, I mean, academics have gone on and queer theory has really developed. And so I find myself jolted into new ideas by hearing some of these uh, progressive approaches in education. Even when I went to Palestine, everybody was talking about the narrative. Well, that wasn't something, we didn't use that word in talking about theory back in, when did I graduate? 75 from Mm -hmm. film school, that's a long time ago. So there's a lot of discourse that, you know, I can be familiar with through reading, but then hearing it in the classroom when maybe I want to enter in the conversation mm. and maybe I will then uh, be able to use the language in, um, and inhabit, let it inhabit me mm-hmm. in a stronger way than if I did an online course or read the book by myself or the books, you know. So I guess then what I'm saying about aging is the constant learning. Yeah and the putting yourself in challenging positions. Again, you know, maybe I'll be quiet. I won't have, I'll just be learning from, who knows? But just in going on this trip to Palestine as the only artist and really not involved in the Israeli-Palestine problem, um, and, and somebody who didn't know much about it. So to allow myself, to be naive mm. and new in a situation, I think that takes strength of identity, and I think that older people have that because they've lived so long and know who they are. So now, for us to take the risks mm. of redefining, reidentifying, or, or performing ourselves, reperforming age.
0: Are there aesthetics? Fun. Yeah. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm curious. Are there like are there aesthetics that you would associate with that, or formal tools? Because your films have always been mm-hmm. very open to like trying new things and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I really like is that maybe it's kind of an irony that Optic Nerve is maybe the most traditionally structural film and it was so successful at the time but yeah. I really like something like Double Strength where it seems like hmm. you it's just a bunch of tools being laid out like just trying whatever comes to mind and seeing how it but works.
1: What comes to mind to to express feeling yeah that's the whole point yeah. I don't I'm not using any technique for its own sake yeah yeah. so um
0: Are there techniques that seem like they would go well with this this new interest, this new Mm -hmm. curiosity?
1: Yeah. For instance, I'm beginning a new project on Elizabeth Bishop, and so I've been to her, one of her archives twice, and the thing that excited me most was, you know, they're very careful how they handle everything. You have to be watched while you're looking at everything. You're wearing gloves, things are in plastic, and so was getting a folder, a group of folders. The first one I opened it had two envelopes in it. There's nothing in the envelopes. <laughs> this is the most exciting moment for me so far in my research on <laughs> Elizabeth Bishop. So I mean to, I had to write, make a sample for a grant application mm. and I, didn't, I knew it could really throw people off if I really developed that mm. in a grant sample yeah. But I did do, you know, maybe 15 seconds of all these envelopes torn and crumpled and opening and empty. And I planned to go further. Now I'm saving envelopes so I can do something <laughs> with that. And maybe that will lead to something else, you yeah. know. That's an aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. And that's a form, maybe it'll be a form of emptiness. Maybe the archive is empty. Because it, the film, to be an essay film has to be about, to me, has to be about an idea Oh, well, it could be a location, but ideas and locations. But I really want to not make a biography of her life, mm-hmm. you know, in any traditional way, but open some questions about closethood um, and art, mm-hmm. you know, and well, things that I've faced, but in a different way, mm-hmm. totally different way. But I wasn't born ten years earlier. Um, and had the life that she had as well. And I wasn't a poet or a verbal poet, a literary poet. (laughs) Keep refining. (laughs) However, my archive's full of poetry. Yeah. (laughs) No, I had a teacher once who told me that you have to decide between a filmmaker and being a poet. (laughs) Yeah, thank you very much. (laughs) So, you know, when you're beginning out in, in life and trying different art forms, ceramics, writing, poetry, painting. never did sculpture except through projections. I mm, L- yeah. love projections.
0: Is there any, when, when you were working on the book, uh, was there any, were the aspects of your career that you felt like you deliberately didn't include or were, was it just because of the space? Like it seems like there you've mm-hmm. made a lot of films but mm-hmm. in your own writing in the writing other people uh, perform on your work, mm-hmm. there, are cert- there are a fair number that aren't included. They're not yeah. included. Yeah, and yeah, I think that maybe, maybe the one that jumps to mind is your your work in Africa tends to not get written about mm. in the same way. Out in South Africa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering what goes into the decisions that you make to include things and not include things, and um, maybe mm. how you feel like other people, uh, why they're not doing it. Is mm-hmm. it just like access to the materials, or? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if we, I mean, I don't think maybe I'm the best judge of my work now that X has been found by Mm -hmm. somebody else and looks like, yeah, I'm proud of it. Mm -hmm. So much so that I spent a lot of money to get a really nice print and gave one here. So I hope you get to see it too. Um, And like 73, you know, before Superdike and really personal in relating to um, Carl Dreyer's uh, Jean d'Arc. and with some of the imagery in it that I was still in film school and seeing films for the first time. Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in a film culture except for Hollywood Mm -hmm. you know which I rejected except for Bambi (laughs) 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 but um, uh, what was the question?
0: Just the gaps that exist. Oh
1: the gap with films. So some of the films you know I don't see them as if they're straightforward like out in South Africa so it's a community-based film it's a film that it was like a humanitarian effort to teach people who don't have access to video equipment Mm -hmm. how to do video interviews Mm -hmm. and then in the process to learn about their lives you know um so i went back to africa and i got a grant to teach black lesbians in johannesburg video Mm -hmm. went back we did these great there were six people in the class great interviews great time I found an editor, a professional editor, who would teach them how to edit the material they shot, and I went off to a, you know, a wildlife park for two weeks, came back, and they'd finished. And what happened was the piece looked good, I was really happy with it, I came home with a beta copy, I never got releases, <laughs> because I wanted it to be their film. Yeah. Well, it is their film, and they de- one woman in the group doesn't want her story told. Mm. The film has never been shown. Um, so, but in making decisions, it's the more complex films that I like.
0: Okay.
1: And maybe that comes with age. You know, I'm glad that other people are enjoying the 70s films because mm. um, maybe the psychosynthesis trilogy, which is I Was, I Am, which is my second 60-millimeter film, X and psychosynthesis could be looked at as a whole Mm. and written about today. It hasn't been touched at all. And in fact, I Was, I Am, another seven and a half film made while I was in film school, was only shown for the first time in 40 years at the MoMA retrospective. Um, And then, um, you know, so new prints were made for that and so on. You know, I think there are some other gems in there, not only that I don't see, but I think the one I talked about last night, Superdike meets Madame X, that's really a nice, grainy, gritty, um, youthful struggle of two women to define themselves more as artists than as lovers, I think. Even though, the reason why I had a hard time showing is there's a big sex scene in it and I'm getting penetrated Mm. and it's a little embarrassing. (laughs) You know, as much as I put my own body in films, that scene is a little Hmm. hard for me to watch again Mm. and again. So I don't show it very often. I haven't put it out on DVD, but now's the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Now's the time to get out these films like Still Point. Yeah. That's a beauty. And it's not available except through 16 millimeter print, the two or three that exist.
0: And there's a media yeah. literacy now that it would resonate with like the multiple screens and, you know. of
1: course, and that's why it was made as mm. I mentioned. yeah. Mm. this one critic um, a teacher in London found it. Mm. and so she's now been to my studio in New York and we went back into my archive and found all the places that had been shown mm. because I was thinking maybe I didn't really show it because there was a major film on before it and kind of what I think was a major film on the other side. Mm. so maybe it got lost, yeah. And so it's great that she wants to do something, but to give her something to do, I had to just make a stupid little VHS that doesn't show the color or anything. So, yeah, there's even though I'm good at, at um, distribution and exhibition, I spend time being a businesswoman as well as a filmmaker, or filmmaker, or film artist. Um, there's a certain point where, like with the retrospectives. I'm ready to say, okay, that's enough. (laughs) Like, you know, I've already promised San Francisco if they can pull it together. Um, But that's, I think, going to be it, Mm. you know, for five years or two (laughs) years or three years or something until I get another piece done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, looking forward to it. Great. Thanks, Barbara.
1: You're welcome. Boy, good timing. We didn't even have the (laughs) 10-minute call, did we? No, we didn't. How'd you get it? I didn't even see it. I saw you look over here at one point, was that it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Is it good enough? Oh, it's good for what you want?
0: We could go could have done way more.
1: (laughs) I know, I know. Maybe it can be part two. Come to New York and do part two. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Well, this is gonna be fun to look at the other folks that you've got. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.